0: good afternoon dear listeners you are tuned in to cjsr fm 88.5 and this is moving radio I'm your host, Christian Zip, and join me, please, won't you, for the next one and a half hours as we take a look at local, Canadian, and independent cinema. Well, it's a packed show this week. Uh, i got lots of great interviews. Uh, so great, in fact, I have to split some of them up. One of the ones that you're going to hear a part one of an interview with this week is with Jermaine Lucier. That's right, he is a a writer for SlashFilm.com. You should check him out. And we talked about the Sundance Film Festival, which he was at for a full solid week. So we'll give you an overview of the Sundance Film Festival. On top of that, I also talked to Marty Lang for the director of a fascinating film. And let me tell you, it is going to blow your mind If you remember the original Fantastic Four film. That's right, this documentary is about the making of it, Roger Corman's version. It's called Doomed, the untold story of Roger Corman's The Fantastic Four. We got part one of that interview as well this week. And we also talked to, once again cody and tim from the house of heathens as they are in a very good mood because they are on the cusp of getting to make their very first feature film and they've got some great support from fava that we talk about and a couple of really important events coming up in connection with the house of heathens that they want to talk about and on top of that it's our good friend kevin martin once again coming at us with the dead fest presentation of robocop this month on get this valentine's day it's a loaded show this week, so let's get to it. Jemaine Lucier on the Sundance Film Festival, Kevin Martin about RoboCop, The House of Heathens, as well as Doomed: The Untold Story of Roger Corman's The Fantastic Four, all on this week's edition of Moving Radio on the mighty mighty CJSR.
1: I've had a lot of strange experiences after all these years in
2: the film business, but I have to say the Fantastic Four ranks somewhere near the top. It's clobbering time. Like a phantom, this film. Strange. It was like
1: a feeling that I've never experienced before. It's a piece of history.
2: I never would have thought then. Is it 20 years later that I'd be sitting here talking about it? This thing just won't die. Expect trouble.
0: Joining me on the phone today is Marty Langford. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I was excited to bag this interview and and that Marty got back to me so quickly because he is the director, writer, and editor of, uh, of something that has a bit of a soft spot in my heart. It's a documentary. It's called Doomed, the untold story of Roger Corman's Fantastic Four. That's right. Uh, If you're as hardcore as I am about these things, you know that a long time ago, Roger Corman made a Fantastic Four film that never saw the light of day, well, at least not legally. Um, It's looking to come to a festival near you, the documentary Doomed. And uh, you know what? If you go to doomedthemovie.com, you can also pre-order yourself a copy of the Blu-ray DVD as soon as it comes out. Our guest today is Marty Langford. Marty, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's really cool. I appreciate it. Ah, oh, let me tell you, it's it's fantastic. Um, you know, I I know that you have probably have a long storied experience with this film itself, and and we'll kind of get into that. But maybe before we uh, we talk about the film more directly, can you just fill in anybody who might be unfamiliar with the backstory of the original Corman uh, produced Fantastic Four adaptation, and maybe um, just give us some background on the film so that we know what's going on.
1: Right. Sure. Um, Back in 1992, a German company uh, called New Constantine, who has since uh, become Constantine Films, uh, owned the rights uh, to uh, Marvel the Fantastic Four. They were at the end of their option, and it was mid to 1992. They had to go into production by December 31st to retain the option. So they uh, hired Roger Corman to make a relatively cheap version of the movie, and I say relatively in meaning extraordinarily. He did, and he pulled it off, and he made uh, he made the movie, um, and then kind of all heck broke loose. And, uh, you know, that's what we're trying to investigate, what happened and when it happened, and why the movie ultimately never got a, a legitimate release.
0: Oh, what was it for you that made you gravitate towards doing this project, Doomed, the untold story of Roger Corman's Fantastic Four?
1: Uh, yeah, it's funny. There's three things, <clears throat> and they're all more or less related. But one is that I'm a really big comic geek, read books all my life, still do. And I just love comics and superheroes and, you know, uh, that kind of nostalgia thing. But I think there's also some really good stuff out there, some good writing, some beautiful art. Uh, and I love movies. I'm a filmmaker. I teach film. <clears throat> and I've always been fascinated by the video watchdog stuff, the uh, uncut print. And alternate versions, and you know, European only releases in Region Two. Then the uh, guy who happened to be the casting assistant on the Fantastic Four that was there all through production is a guy whose father I worked in his comic book store for you know ten years. So we were best, we're not best friends, but close friends. Those three things, and it's like, yeah, uh, I've always wanted to see this movie the way you know. It should have been
0: seen. We're speaking on the phone today with Marty Langford. He is the director, writer, and editor of the documentary Doomed, the untold story of Roger Corman's Fantastic Four. You can find out more about it at doomedthemovie.com. So, Marty, maybe um, now that we've talked a little bit about the film, where you're coming from, take us on the journey of what you had to do in order to get this made and maybe talk about some of the people that are featured in the documentary as well.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, we got... You know, I would say without exception, we interviewed like 16 of the people who were uh, had a direct relationship with the film, whether it was a cast or crew, uh, Roger Corman, who was the executive producer, Chris Gore, who uh, ran Film Threat at the time and had all that coverage on it, that kind of big issue of Film Threat, if, if you know anything about the story, every principal role, I'll say, you know, including Carl Chirofaglio, who was in the same costume and... Uh, you know, has all these amazing behind-the-scenes stuff that we have in the movie that's like, you know, stuff that's never been seen before in a lot of cases. It's terrific.
0: What was it that struck you most about uh, this Corman version of the Fantastic Four the first time you saw it?
1: It was mostly relief at having, and it was it was an ongoing thing. I had like a 90-minute you know minute relationship with this movie when I finally got a chance to see it because I was in Los Angeles in 92 when Mark Uh, My producing partner, Mark Sykes, introduced the cast to um, the LA Shrine Auditorium and like launched the trailer and stuff. So from then until now, it's just been amazing.
0: Yeah, we're talking on the phone here with Marty Lang for director, writer, editor of Doomed, the untold story of Roger Corman's Fantastic Four. Marty, before we let you go, um, maybe just let people know who uh, who are maybe hearing about this for the first time or, you know, they kind of piqued their excitement. Uh, we mentioned the website. It's doomedthemovie.com. You can find lots of stuff on there. Um, maybe tell them a little bit about the content they can buy on the website it would be great. And maybe just drop the Facebook and Twitter twitter and all that stuff
1: sure yeah yeah we're doomed ff the word doomed followed by the letters ff it's our twitter handle it's um you know our facebook page uh so you can find us there in front of us or like us or follow us that'd be great uh and yeah on the store we have we're pre-ordering uh orders for the movie which uh you know we hope to have in late spring completed by but a pre-order would really help out a lot and about getting some of that money in and as well as kind of securing a copy.
0: Joining me on the phone today is Jermaine Lucier. Uh, he is a writer for the website SlashFilm.com, where he does some fantastic work. And recently I picked up on him because he was uh, took a trip to Park City. He was uh, hanging out for the biggest film festival, I guess, so far of the year. It's Sundance, don't you know? Uh, would this be correct, Jermaine? You went to 28 films in one week, yes?
3: Yes, that is correct. 28 in a week. Uh, it's actually my fifth year in a row. And I was a little down because in previous years, I was there for a couple extra days, and I saw 40. Uh,
0: (laughs) So you slowed down, is what you're saying.
3: Yes, yes, this was a down year.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, sleep is important.
3: Sleep and writing, and you have to eat. It's a marathon, but it's really fun because you're just seeing movies all day with great people and great atmospheres and movies that nobody's heard of yet. So you never know. You could discover the next, you know, diamond in the rough.
0: Well, and uh, that's why I appreciate you taking the time to be on the show today, is because uh, we want to talk about, A, the festival experience in some ways, too. But, uh, you know, as a writer, you get to see a lot of films there, and this will give us a heads up on, like you said, things that are coming out throughout the year. So maybe let's just start about Sundance in general as a festival, because I'm not sure how many other ones you really get a chance to see throughout the year. But maybe what do you feel like separates Sundance from some of the other larger film festivals?
3: Hey, it's American. Uh, a lot of the bigger film festivals, you know, like Toronto Film Festival and Cannes Film Festival, aren't in America. So it's by far the biggest one in America. And also the timing of it is different. A lot of those other film festivals are in the middle of the year, or the late of the year. And by that time, we know what a lot of the movies are. Sundance is unique in that it's in January. It's the first thing in the year. And almost, I would say, 80% of the movies are stuff that most people have not heard of at that point. There are a couple definitely things by filmmakers you've heard of, a lot of things by actors you've heard of, but going into the festival, yeah, you don't know what the, these movies are good if they're not, even what they're about half the time, and that's a very unique thing.
0: Uh, we're talking on the phone here with Jermaine Lucier, and he is a writer for SlashFilm.com. We're discussing the Sundance Film Festival's and experience there. What do you feel like the vibe is like there? Because I know sometimes you're in a bit of a bubble, right? Going to see the films. At least that's been my experience when I've been somewhere for a week and I'm trying to cram in as much stuff as possible.
3: You feel like it's the center of the world because, you know, covering Hollywood on a daily basis, once you go to Sundance, everybody's there, not just stars, all the journalists, all the press, filmmakers. And you sort of feel like, okay, I'm at the epicenter here. And everybody is incredibly cool. Like, The best one of my favorite parts of the festival is that if you're in line for a movie, if you're on a bus, if you're waiting for a bus, if you're in the supermarket, almost everybody there, Park City isn't a very populated town, it's a very touristy town, so when you're there for Sundance, everybody's there for Sundance. So I could be on line at the grocery store and be like, hey, uh, so you're here for the festival? What movies have you seen? And you could have a conversation with somebody. That happens pretty regularly, uh, not as much in the grocery store, but also... uh, uh, on the street, uh, at the bus stops, on the bus, et cetera. So it's a really fun. Saying thing. It is a bubble, but you feel like it's the bubble to be
0: in. You go see a lot of films, so it's kind of tough. to. I'm not going to grill you and say, tell us about everything you saw, because that's, that's yeah. pretty intense. And, you know, if they want to know more, they can just go to slashfilm.com and read intensely about what you and your friends were up to all last week. But maybe let's try and break it down into categories. For you, what was, like, the, the narrative feature, uh, or maybe doc, that you were looking forward to the most? And maybe after that saying, like, oh, I was looking forward to that. It totally cashed in for me. And what was one thing that you saw that you were feeling like it didn't quite convert for you?
3: Well, to be honest, like I said, out of the 28 movies, there were probably only four that I wouldn't recommend to somebody. I think there was something good about almost everything. Uh, the movie that I was most looking forward to start of the festival was uh, a movie called Life Itself. It's a documentary about film critic Roger Ebert, and it's directed by Eve James, who made the movie Hoop Dreams. One of my favorite movies, Roger Ebert, was obviously very influential, not just to me, but almost anybody who writes about movies today. James started filming the movie right before Ebert passed away, so it's an incredibly poignant life story, and I was really, really really looking forward to that one for all those reasons, and it really lived up to my expectations, which is Sundance is a tough thing to do. We all are born with a certain package. We are who we are. Where we were born, who we were born as, how we were raised. We're kind of stuck inside that person. And the purpose of civilization and growth is to be able to reach out and empathize a little bit with other people. And for me, the movies are like a machine that generates empathy. It lets you understand a little bit more about different hopes, aspirations, dreams, and fears. It helps us to identify with the people who are sharing this journey with us. James makes like a just... a. a a very well-rounded portrayal of Ebert. Uh, it's not, it's not just all puppy dogs and ice cream. There's, there's uh, you know, alcoholism. There's prostitution. There's mean arguments. But then there's a lot of love and a lot of passion and a lot of history of cinema. And it's all wrapped into this you know awesome two-hour documentary. So that was the movie that I most wanted to see, and that lived, totally lived up to my expectations. Conversely, a movie that I wanted to see a lot and didn't live up to my expectations is a film called Frank and that stars Michael Fassbender as the lead singer of a band who wears a giant head all the time, so you never see who he is. And he's not the star of the story. He's sort of a supporting character and the young star, uh, Dominic Gleason, is a, sort of works his way into this band and he sort of starts living his dream as to be a music musician or whatever. And the movie never quite worked for me. It's sort of very quirky, and it, I wasn't buying what it was selling. It didn't really have much of a theme to it. And that was a movie that I really thought had a lot of potential, just from the description and the, the cast. Maggie is also in it. And it didn't do it for me.
0: Frank wants us to start everything from scratch. He's created an entirely new musical notation system.
3: But, oddly enough, I'm one of the few people who didn't like that movie, so who who knows?
0: Yeah, I mean, it looked fascinating when I saw that clip online, uh, and but it came off so kind of Wes Anderson-y that I was like, okay, where, where is this thing really going? Um, so interesting. I'm glad that, you know, at least there's some uh, divergent points of view. you saying like, Frank, maybe not so great. Um, and, and also, too, even mentioning the Robert Roger Eder doc, you had a, a great little bit on, uh, on SlashFilm.com today about Ebert as well. I like that. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, and
3: also spoke to the director as well, and uh, I think that interview will probably be up by the time people are hearing this. And it was, yeah, I mean that movie got it was released by CNN Films uh, or is owned by CNN Films, and people get to see it pretty much uh, later this year at some point.
0: Yeah. Well, the next thing I was going to kind of talk about uh, that I think you might have covered a little bit is is one of those times where you go see a film and everyone else is raving about it, and you're like, I know I'm supposed to like this. It seems really intelligent or, you know, artsy, but I'm not getting it or it's just not hitting me. Uh, I felt terrible because I love the Cone brothers. And when I saw and Davis, I was like, oh, this is, I'm not getting this at all. <clears throat> and I feel like, I'm like, am I an idiot? Did I, did I fall asleep with my eyes open? I mean, <clears throat> was, was Frank kind of doing that for you?
3: Yeah, Frank was kind of like that for me. But, but to be honest, I was watching it and I was, I kept waiting for something more exciting to happen, or for them to bring it all home into a big point, you know, like make to make the whole journey worth it. And I don't think it ever did. Um, so I think, yeah, that would be the movie of the festival for me that a lot of people really dug the quirkiness of it. But as a fan of even of, of, as a fan of quirky films, it, it just didn't do it for me. Like you can be as weird or violent or gross or stupid or anything for me as long as it has a point and it means something even if i don't agree with it and this movie to me didn't really have a point that was interesting at all
0: we get the best of both worlds the fastest reflexes modern technology has to offer onboard computer-assisted memory and a lifetime of on-the-street law enforcement programming it is my great pleasure to present to you robocop He's not a guy,
2: he's a machine. Old Detroit has a cancer. Ah! Ah! Cancer is crime. Let the woman go, you are under arrest. You you better back up, pal! Your move, creep. What are your prime directives? You have the right to remain silent. You have the right to an attorney. Uh, I
0: am the lobby. That's right. Your favorite basement video DVD, Blu-ray, uh, and more store.
2: Yes. Random VHS tapes kicking around Even still, Even VHS tapes. That's correct. That's correct. All you, you know why I need to yes. have VHS tapes still? Yes. Because only on VHS can you see The Destroyer with Lyle Alzado from 1988. It's true. You can't he's, get that anywhere else. He's
0: staring me in the face, juiced up more than any human maybe has been in history. And he's just juicing. Yeah, it's just weird to know one year after that movie was made, what he'd look like. Not like that <laughs> anymore. Oh. a shriveled, hollow shell of a man. Absolutely, that's for sure. Uh, you know what? Also, is a bit of a shell of a man. Hmm. Was RoboCop. That
2: is true. Good segue, buddy. Hey, okay, well, I saw
0: it and I went right for it. Good. You know what? <laughs> just,
2: just throwing out, throwing out certain phrases. Something, something will pick up. Something yeah. will work. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, Paul Verhoeven's classic. Don't get
0: confused here, kids. This is not your uh, brand new noir-looking version of RoboCop, the guy in black who eventually goes to silver, who seems a little less clunky, a little more sleek maybe, but also much more PG. This is the old-school, R-rated, hard edge
2: version, straight uh, out of the mind of a mad Dutchman. That mad is a key word. I thought you were actually going to go, when you said noir, I thought, like, don't be mistaken with this... The new film, no, the Warriors, or like, whoa, no. whoa, whoa! is in French black. Yeah, yeah, that's very it. true. Yeah, I didn't put
0: film before it. No.
2: <laughs> well, you know, I mean, we've done countless talks about the the tragedies of remakes, and um yes. every now and then there's a couple good ones, but this will not be a good remake. That's opening. No. In uh, this month, and that's that's all we're gonna say about it. Yeah, you know, we're what? only gonna talk about the old one now. That, that's right. I don't want to trash the new one too no. bad. No, because we don't want people to get confused. That, that's On right. On
0: Friday, February 14th.
2: Happy Valentine's Day. That's right. Mm-hmm.
0: If you have anyone in your life that you love, whether well, it's your mother, your brother, your neighbor, your lawyer, um, you know, whoever it is, your cab driver, your favorite cab driver, take them out to the Metro Cinema. 11.
2: 30, is that correct? We're going to go with 11 o'clock on the dawn. It might be 11.30, but if you're half an hour early, better safe than sorry. That's right. You know, here's the difference between love and hate. Love is going to see the Paul Verhoeven's RoboCop
0: on Valentine's
2: Day. Hate is accidentally taking somebody you love to the remake. (laughs) To the remake. So we are here to clear up any confusion. Let me tell you something, kids. Yes. Remakes of RoboCop that are going to be PG-13 is just a bad idea. In fact, this remake of RoboCop is going to make RoboCop 3 look like RoboCop 1. That's how do, Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm laying
0: down the hammer. Wow. Laying down the hammer. Well, for those of you who are well-versed in your RoboCop history, you understand.
2: Yeah, that's a pretty bad sign. That's a
0: bold statement and probably a true statement.
2: I'll tell you what. The, the store is located at mm. 10815 82nd Avenue. Uh, the Lobby DVD Shop. It's a basement store below uh, the Cambridge Daycare Center. Come visit me every day of the week except for Sundays because I need one day of rest. Right. For all your insane movie needs, uh, whether I have it or not, I'll do my best to track it down for you.
0: Now, I don't know that you've gotten the special order from outside of the city due to this program slash podcast, but we're going to we're gonna tell people where you're online anyways. Facebook? Facebook, yeah. Um, The Lobby DVD Shop. You can join my group. Right. So we're pushing. This is what I want. I want Kevin's first international order. Have you had international orders yet?
2: I have not had international orders okay, yet. So
0: the, now we're going to try and push this. We're going to say, I dare one of you from outside of this
2: country yeah. to order
0: something from Kevin.
2: Yeah. It, you know, you could even be just across the border. Montana works for me. That's totally <laughs> cool, man. That That's way, it okay. all you just have first person I'm internationally
0: known Exactly. Now. All right. And March seven. 19th? I
2: can't remember 14th, the
0: date. 14th. March 14th.
2: Okay, March 14th. Yeah, we're having our, our big fundraiser kickoff party for the last video store, the Motion Picture. I love saying that. Which hopefully <laughs> go into production in May. Um, we're in the middle of working on some grant money right now, but uh, we want to have a big kickoff party at Filthy McNasty's, live music, a bunch of prizes to give away. We'll hopefully have uh, DVDs of all of our short films we've done up until this point, which will be available for a donation uh, no, not, a, not a... It is recorded in legend. When a video store is threatened, a chosen protector will rise. No! That movie was irreplaceable! Shut up. Where's that magic tape? I'll never give you that tape. You still owe me late fees.
0: That, of course, was a clip from The House of Heathens. M is for magnetic tape. And the house consists of Tim Rutherford and Cody Kennedy. Now, I've got to prime you, ladies and gentlemen. The volume was super low on this one. Don't blame it on those boys. Blame it on me. So you're going to hear a bunch of hiss in the background. But that doesn't mean that the interview isn't good. So make sure you stay tuned to our interview with the House of Heathens. And please excuse the background hiss. Well, that about wraps it up for this week's edition of Moving Radio. As always, I'm your host, Christian Zip. Please remember that if you want to check out more from me, you can catch me on Twitter, at Moving Radio, as well as Instagram. Same words, Moving Radio. And if you're interested in old episodes of the program, maybe this is how you're listening to it right now, you can go to iTunes or SoundCloud, and all you got to do is just Google the keywords, Moving Radio Podcast or CGSR Moving Radio. You will find all the classic Moving radio that you can get your hands on. But coming up next, it's the finest in feminist radio. It's Adam and Eve.